Okay, so yeah, Joshua 5. Let's go there, 13 through 15. And just so you're, you're aware, in case you're not, we're, we're going through the book of Joshua, and Joshua is this, the leader of Israel, and they're about to, to go in. Um, they're entering into the land. They're, they've, they've crossed the Jordan, um, but they've got some battles ahead of them. One of them is this place, Jericho. Uh, many of you know it probably by a little song that you've sang before. Um, Joshua, I'm not going to sing it, but I want to so badly. I will not sing it. Um, but they're on the brink of that. And, and, but this chapter five is kind of like a pause in that process. It's like a, it's like a hit pause button. There's some things we need to do. So here we go, picking up in 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, <laughs> but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, who does my Lord say, what, sorry, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet. For the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. This is the word of the Lord. Any of you like to shop at Ikea? No? No? Is that you, Brad? Is that you, sir? Yeah. Me neither. I get frustrated at Ikea. Right? And you know, if you've been there, and, and let's be honest, you're American, so you have. So... It, 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 the reason is, instead of a simple, straightforward layout of departments, it's this confusing maze with no windows. Yeah, yeah. So you feel trapped in this, like, sea of Scandinavian furniture. <laughs> and you have no idea how to get out, you know? It's just disorienting. It's like what it must feel like to go into a casino, I suppose. It's just like, where am I? What's, what time of day is it, you know? Um, Personally, for me, I'm frustrated because just, just for me, my preference is I like knowing what I need, where to go, and a simple sh short path to get there. That's what I want. And I say that because that is, by the way, how I wish my spiritual formation and my maturity worked. Amen? You know what you need. Get the steps, you know. A simple short path to get there. Straight lines, clear steps, very often I feel like a, 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 a kind of a subconscious conversation I'm having with God is something like this. God, it, listen, I love you. I want to serve you. Um, if you would just soft pitch me the steps here of what you want me to do with my job, my marriage, my kids, my neighborhood, my church, whatever, I'd knock it out of the park, man. You know? <laughs> I, would, I would knock it out of the park. Um, but there's no indication that I can find in the Bible in my life experience, as well as many that I've you know, got to know over the years, or worthy Christian literature for that matter, there's no indication that that is a legitimate path being offered to you. Um, there just seems to be like strangeness, you know, struggle, mystery, seems to be part of the process. I have this 
game, I suppose you could say, with my kids. I have this ongoing training program with them. Uh, when my oldest was a toddler, I opened up to her, kind of, and I, and I explained that I'm secretly a ninja and that I trained in Japan during my youth. Which she really believes, and I hope she's in children's ministry right now because I don't want to ruin this. Um, so they, of course, my kids, they, they, they really want to be a ninja. And so they regularly ask for exercises and obstacles that I set for them to become a ninja. And so, um, you know, and I, I, I make those up very arbitrarily as I go because I, you know, clearly I have no idea what a ninja does. So I... And I love to stretch these levels. I've, I've made up like stages and levels like, that are numbered. And, and I like to stretch this out. I, it, it's a total game and mystery. Uh, levels of competency and all of this. And we're all having fun with it. But clearly, I, I have no idea what I'm doing, right? Um, but there's just, there's struggle and there's mystery. And that's part of the process. Joshua 5, we just read a portion of it, but it shows another facet to how God is leading Israel on this path to be a new people. He wants them to be a new, new people. And he, and he wants to use them for his purposes. But they're not ready yet. There's, there's got to be preparation. Um, they're, 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 and the preparation really just, I would say, isn't always abundantly clear. Like it's, there's mystery, there's struggle. The preparation isn't quick or painless even. Uh, but unlike me, as a made-up sensei, um, God actually knows what he's doing. He, he, he does. And, and we get the sense in this scene that we just read that with this mysterious figure that God seems, you know, he, he seems to be just fine with us not always knowing what's going on. That's, un that's uncomfortable, I think. But it's really important to reflect on. God seems to be fine with holding clear directives in your process. Sometimes it feels like the mystery, like a mystery, you know, it, 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 the mystery is more important really than you seeing some master plan. Struggle, mystery, you know, maybe God might do some of his best work on you in secret. And that's challenging and interesting, <laughs> but something I think worth reflecting on. Uh, a, one of the best spiritual formation books I think you could possibly read, Invitation to a Journey, uh, Robert Mulholland, he, he, he says this, uh, it is not surprising that we, as members of an instant gratification culture, tend to become impatient with any process of development that requires of us more than the limited involvement of our time and energies. If we do not receive the desired results almost instantly, we become impatient and frustrated. Often our spiritual quest becomes a search for the right technique, the proper method, the perfect program that can immediately deliver the desired results of spiritual maturity and wholeness. Or we try to create the atmosphere for the right spiritual moment, that perfect setting in which God can touch us into instantaneous wholeness. If only we can find the right trick, the right book, the right guru, 
go to the right retreat, hear the right sermon, instantly we will be transformed into a new person at a new level of spirituality and wholeness. It is not that right techniques, right methods, and right programs are not beneficial, nor should we minimize the importance of transforming spiritual moments on our pilgrimage. All these are important. But there is something about the nature of spiritual wholeness and growth toward the wholeness that is very much a process, a process. So you got Israel on the brink of this battle with Jericho. They're right on the brink of it. And there will be a plan, and we'll get to that next week. There will be a plan for that battle. But Joshua 5 is a pause. I, I, I said this at the beginning. It's a pause. It's a pause in the story showing that they're not ready for plans yet. There is a much needed process of making them spiritually fit. Spiritual fitness is what God is after here in chapter five. Well, what's the fitness that they needed? What is the spiritual fitness that Israel needed in this moment? That's the question I want you asking. Well, before you get into realize the, the, the answer, take note of something, and we didn't read it all. Something was happening in the beginning, uh, chapter five, we didn't read it. Uh, this generation of Israelites had not yet been uh, circumcised like their parents were, the former generation that came out of Egypt. Circumcision is the mark of the covenant. Um, Dan talked about this last week, so you can go back and reference that sermon if you'd like. It signified membership in God's covenant people of Israel, much like, much like baptism signifies membership in the covenant community of the church today. Um, and so God wants a reset on this generation of people. Uh, the old rebellious generation is gone. They've died out in the wilderness. They've been wondering. And he clearly wants to reconstitute this generation uh, of people. And, and so he wants to remind them and, and of who they are in him, who, are, who they are, who do they belong to. They belong to God. And he wants to remind them of the promises. And he, it, it, even in a painful way, it's like, I, mean, I don't really remember circumcision, but you know, it's like, it, there's, this is a painful reality of entering into and reconstituting them as a people. They've got to visit this process. God wants a reset on them to have, so they can understand their identity. And the whole point, of course, is to lead them into this promise of land, this promise of rest that he wants to give. And so the circumcision will also make them fit for celebrating the Passover meal. And so, which was the celebration, a meal that remembered the night in Egypt, the 10th plague coming through, taking out the firstborn that struck Egypt, but passed over Israel because of the blood. On that night, Israel actually left their slavery. They left it behind and entered a new era as a free people. And so God wants to remind these people uh, and he wants to initiate them before they enter any work on his behalf. Okay, that all that makes sense, all right? Are you still with me? That makes sense, okay. However, the timing of the process, strategically speaking, is strange. You have to stop and think about it. If you, if you were to go back and look at verse one, and I'll just read it to you, here's what it says. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over. Their hearts melted 
There was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. The people are afraid, right? Jericho is terrified. The next line. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise yourselves. Do you see the contrast? The, the people in the land that God is judging, they're terrified. They had no spirit in them, giving them a sense of confidence for a battle. In purely strategic and military sense, right? it would make sense. It's a perfect time to strike. Pounce, Israel. Go, get them. Step on the throat. But instead, God says, you're not ready. Let's do some surgery in a highly sensitive area before you're going to fight. He's gonna wound them before they go fight a battle. And he has reasons for this, sure. I mean, there's some shame elements here. Verse nine says, and the Lord said to Joshua, this is, this is after taking place. Today I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day, which means to roll back, meaning, meaning what God is saying to them is today, you, you, you're having to face the, where you come from. You, you're having to face your story. You're having to face, reface and, and come back into contact with what your parents have done and where you have been and your story and the shame that you carried. And there is shame. I mean, they left slavery and they had all these big, big promises and these big claims on how all this great stuff was gonna happen to them and God was gonna give them a land. And then, oops, guess what? 40 years of wandering around. It looked like a failure. They had shame. You've probably said things in your earlier days. You're like, I'm gonna go do this. And it's kind of like, you don't wanna revisit that right now because you didn't. Didn't work out, did it? And there's an underlying subconscious shame operating underneath the hood, if you were to be honest. And so God is dealing with that with them. But here's the thing, if I'm, if I'm one of these men, <laughs> if I, or Joshua for that matter, my instinct would have been, hey, 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 Lord, can this wait? We got some business to take care of, right? It's gonna be a little violent. I'd rather not perform a sensitive surgery right now. Doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me, right? We'll get to that later, you know, Lord. But right now, I've got a better idea. Now, to be fair, God did allow them time to heal, but still, I, I, I'm no circumcision expert, uh, but wounding yourself in a rather sensitive area before battle is an odd strategy. It's odd timing. And even if they get healed and they're sprightly again, this delayed, uh, what probably felt like the perfect moment to move ahead. Instead of moving along a path and in a timing that makes sense to how we think God slows them down, he wounds them and has them reflect on their past story and past shame. What is going on and why is God so adamant about these rituals at a time like this? It just strikes us as strange. Well, it gets stranger when you think about the passage that you actually read. Look at verse 13. 
And Joshua approaches Jericho and he looks up in this strange, mysterious, intimidating, probably soldier appears, I guess, out of nowhere. And I say soldier because he's standing there with a sword in his hand drawn. And Joshua being the military leader that he is, he's got the chutzpah to walk up to this guy and say, what? He gives him an ultimatum. You for me or you for them? Because if you're for them, I'm gonna take you out. I can only assume that that's what Joshua's thinking. Are you for us or are you against us? In other words, uh, Joshua is saying, um, uh, are you with the good guys or are you with the bad guys? And it's such simple thinking. That's how the church often thinks too, you know. We're the good guys, they're the bad guys. It's so simple to us. And the answer back that he receives is comical. Look, 14 and 15. After Joshua with his backbone, you know, his, his bravery and all of this, saying, giving this question, this mysterious soldier simply says, no, no. You know, or your translation might say, neither. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Now, who is this guy? That's the question we probably would ask when we read it. Some say it's an angel of the Lord. Some, some say it's Jesus himself, you know, there, right there, right before this battle, visiting them. I mean, the author doesn't tell us, and I think that's really important. But it's clear that he's a heavenly being, and he's speaking on behalf of God in this moment. And Joshua picks up on that right away because he rightfully hits the deck. And, and naturally, as anyone, would you or me, for that matter, if you were in this, in this moment, Joshua, out of reverence, he looks for orders, doesn't he? Tell me what to do. He looks for steps. He looks for the guidance. Joshua says, tell me, tell me, commander, right? You command me. What do you want me to do? And what's he say? Take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. Take your shoes off. It's clearly a theophany is what we call that, right? Joshua's encountering God. And it's wonderful, right? It's what you want. It's what I want. I wanna, I, I wanna encounter God. But why the mysterious soldier? Why the sword? Why, why the evasive answer? Or maybe better yet, why a non-answer? Why a non-answer to a seemingly legitimate question? And why this humbling act of shoe removal and demand for reverence? Well, here's what I think. Because this isn't about Joshua getting direction or answers. Ultimately, this preparation isn't about plans at all. It's about posture. It's all about posture. And I think that that's what the whole of chapter five has been about, posture. God's unexpected wounds, unexpected timing, and God's unexpected answer to Joshua's ultimatums is all about putting their souls and their egos in the right place. And I think that God is essentially saying to Joshua and Israel, and I want you to, I want you to listen to this, but it's, he's, I think that this is what's happening in the scene. God is saying this, your fitness for 
my plans won't be achieved until you've surrendered yours. Your spiritual fitness for me, God, will not rest on you and make sense to you. You will not be effective in doing what I am calling you to do until you surrender your own plans. You're still operating underneath with an idea that you have clear sense of what should happen, that you're the good guy and they're the bad guy. And until that's surrendered before me, you're not fit. And that's a process. <laughs> Getting to that point is a process that's usually mysterious. It's got strangeness. It's got struggle. It's got secrecy. It's got mystery. And sometimes it involves some pain. But that's the spiritual fitness needed here. Not skill, not competence, but a posture. A brutal encounter with the truth that I'm not in charge. I'm not in charge. It's what I say to my kids all the time, you know, when they get rather lippy. I say, oh, oh you're the boss. You're the boss. And it's about, hey, you've lost your sense of place here. But this is what's happening to them. They're having to have a brutal encounter with the fact that they're not in charge and that their effectiveness flows not out of strength and ability, but out of submission. That's where their power will come from. That's where their competence will come from. You see, Joshua, he's questioning God, right? Like that's what you read, that's what's happening. Joshua's walking up and questioning God because that's what we do instinctually. It makes sense. It's what you do all the time. It's what I do all the time. In our prayers, we go to God and we ask questions. What do you want? Make it clear, man. I'm trying. Make it clear. This, is, this, this situation with my marriage, the situation with my job, the situation with my parenting, the situation as, as a student, this situ whatever it is, this situation I've got with my illness, this conflict, please make it clear and I'll do what I'm supposed to do. He's questioning God. But, and that's fine, but here's the thing. That doesn't mean that God is going to answer the way you want or when you want. And learning that, learning that is part of your blessed humiliation. your blessed humiliation. And counterintuitively, I have come to realize and I have come to learn that that's what makes you fit for his loving work. Uh, Andrew Murray, writer, theologian said it like this, pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. Pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. And by the way, this is the reality that pops up over and over and over again in the Bible, if you think about it, right? A lot of the stories that you maybe know if, you, if you're churched, um, take Jacob, right? Jacob, he wants to talk to God. He, he, he wants blessed by God. 
So he sends his family over and he's got some things to do. And he's, he's, had, a, he's had a really rough life, man, Jacob. You know, he's been a cheat. He's been a liar most of his life. And he, he wants to talk to God and he wants to get, to get blessed by God. And what does he get? He gets a mysterious wrestling match. And he gets a damaged hip socket. Job. Job is a man that suffers immensely. And he feels so unjustified. And so what does he do? He questions God. Give me my day in court. I've got things I want to ask you, God. This is unfair what's happening to me. And what's he get in return? The text says he gets a whirlwind. A whirlwind of questioning back. Oh, you... You, th you think you know what's going on here? What makes the wind blow, Job? Who feeds the birds, Job? Just questions and questions and questions and questions. So many, it pummels Job, and then Job repents. The apostle Paul, hard worker, he seeks righteousness, and at first, not in a good way. And then what happens? He wants God. And so God comes down and visits him. And what's ha what happens to Paul? He's blinded. Blinded. Not uh, a hug. Hey, buddy. You've been messing up. And I love you. And I want to steer you in the right direction. So here's what you're going to do. I was telling the guys earlier today, it's like, here's, it's a paradigm. It's like, you got a guy who wants to, to, to do what God wants him to do. He gets blinded and then he becomes the man who is the minister of what? The mystery. The mystery of the gospel. You even see Jesus, this encounter with Jesus. He's dying on the cross. I mean, if you know the scene well, and he's got two criminals, right, with him on either side of him dying alongside him. Luke 23, 39 through 40 records it. And one thief says this, a question to Jesus. Hey, aren't you the Christ? If so, save yourself and us. It's the same spirit of control as Joshua, if you think about it. You for us or you against us? But the other thief actually understood the moment, didn't he? And what does he say to the other thief? He says, do you not fear God? And he's the one, by the way, that Jesus turns to and says, today you'll be in paradise. Well, what did he do right? What steps did he follow, God? Apparently, he had the right posture. I, I can keep going with those examples because they're everywhere in the Bible. But I, I just want you to hopefully see a pattern emerging about spiritual preparation and spiritual fitness. If you're going to pursue God, good, you should. But don't be surprised if along the way you begin to get hit with the internal questions that feel like this, wait, this doesn't make any sense. I thought it was gonna be easier or clearer. Don't be surprised if you have moments where you, you are literally saying, what is happening to me? Why doesn't this make any sense? 
These are moments, I would say, to be disrupted by hidden conditions and hidden compulsions to control how things should go for you. The evasive answer Joshua is getting in this scene is addressing this. It's like God is saying to Joshua, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Joshua, are you giving me a multiple choice? Right? Are, are you giving me just, you're coming to me with options? Do you, do you think that this is like a negotiation when you come to me and you operate with me? Do you, do you actually think that this is as simple as you're the good guys and, and, and they're the bad guys? Is that, is that what you think? That's not what this is about at all, Joshua. You're not the good guy, Joshua. You're the guy that I'm using by grace. Get it right. There's a big difference. And until you get it right, Joshua, you're not fit to do anything for me. You will be reckless and hurtful, and you will give the wrong impression in front of people about who I am and what I'm up to. It's as if God is saying in chapter five, all of chapter five, I think, is really God's way of saying all the best plans in the world won't do you any good if you don't have the right posture beneath them. The right heart before me is necessary if you're gonna step into the callings. And so here's something for you to consider, really. Just with the whole bit of this this morning and this teaching, here's what I want you to consider. Here's just the, the, the big consideration for you. Something for you to chew on the rest of your week. Sometimes God wants a posture in you more than he wants you hearing a clear plan, a plan for your life, a plan for your maturity, a plan for your spiritual formation, or even a plan for your purpose that he has for you. Sometimes God just might want you to get into a certain posture. And maybe, just maybe, withholding clear, obvious steps is a, is a part of the whole point of the process. Maybe, maybe mystery isn't a problem for you, but it's the point for you. You wouldn't grow in the way he wants you to otherwise. I am so convinced that if there wasn't some secrecy and mystery involved in your spiritual formation, if you could just make sense of it all the time, and you, uh, you know, ironically, like I said earlier, I would knock it out of the park. No, I wouldn't. If it, was, if, if it was somehow something I could figure out all the time and it was so clear to me, I would pervert the process and I would become unbearable to you. If, the more you're able to get in charge of it and control it, the more you get prideful about what you're doing. Don't you see that the mystery is, is necessary part of it so that it keeps you humble, that it keeps you smaller, not bigger, smaller. Some of you, I, 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 I know you're well acquainted with these feelings. Life will just have moments of incredible setbacks. They will have moments of turmoil. They will have moments of spiritual mystery. There will be moments and seasons, I think, despite all your best efforts, and some of you put in amazingly good efforts in your formation as a Christian, but you just hit these moments, you can't seem to make headway in these certain areas. You know, headways in, in your maturity, like you think you're supposed to. The lack of clarity and control can be just maddening to the human condition. I get that. But the point here is to remember that your humility, I think, depends upon you feeling this. You know, so that when someone comes to you, a child, a new Christian, or whatever, a friend, 
And they're like, man, I've tr I'm trying this. I'm praying this. I'm reading this. It's no more clearer than it was two years ago. I still am lost. You're not someone saying, try harder. Please don't do that to people. And don't do it to yourself. Maybe it's a, I just need to get in a certain posture. Maybe, maybe it, this is kept out of my view on purpose. Maybe there's something in me that still needs exhumed and brought out and crucified. This is what makes you fit, not strength, but submission, not ease, but struggle, not clear-minded self-assurance, but humbled God reliance. That's what makes us fit. And this is what the Israelites are supposed to learn. That spiritual fitness is grounded in humility and trust, not their specialness or their righteousness. And God actually says this specifically to them in Deuteronomy. I'm giving you this land. You're gonna do these amazing things. Do not think for a second it's because you're righteous. It is not because you're special. It is because I choose to do it by grace through mystery. And here's the thing about humility. <laughs> humility and trust, is, which is what we need before God. Humility and trust, and this is going to probably bother some of you. Be patient with me. Humility and trust is not something that you can go out and achieve. It is something that is done to you in spite of you. It is not something that you go out and tack on to your life. Hard workers in the room, beware. It will be done to you. Otherwise, you'll be able to call it an achievement. It's astounding to think about what Jesus knows and wants for us, yet allows a slowness for us in discovering it. And I think what we're learning here is that gradually coming under God's lordship, Christ's lordship, that requires a, continually, a continual encountering of our own pride. It's not a one-time deal. It's a continual deal. It means coming into contact with the conditions and failed self-reliance that we've, we've still kind of, that have still been operating underneath. I can think of almost no better story of, how, of like a, how this is just a small short story that is such a paradigm for what I'm trying to get across to you this morning than the disappointed disciples in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus. This is Jesus has died and he is resurrected, but you've got these two disciples on this road to Emmaus and they are what? They're disappointed. The whole thing has been a failure. And they're, they just, they're, 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 their heads are drooped low they're very sad, they're frustrated, they're going back to some maybe former life that they had before Christ because it, the whole thing has been a failure. And if you know the story, you know that Jesus, the resurrected Jesus shows up and walks along the road with them. But do you know and do you remember that verse 16 actually says that they are kept from recognizing him? Mystery, secrecy, why? Why doesn't Jesus come out of the hedges and say, ta-da? <laughs> right? Hey, 
hey, I thought, I know you thought, but I told you, it's fine now, right? Why are they kept? Why are they actually walked into mystery? You know, I would, I would say Luke 24, the road domain, is, is an actual snippet scene for your entire spiritual formation. It is a paradigm for you. You want God. Good. Me too. And along the way, you're going to get disapp- disappointed and you're going to get disoriented and you're going to be totally, what is happening? And then it's like, where are you, God? And God is there. And you're going to say, but I don't see him. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. They're kept from recognizing. Jesus lets them sit in disappointment for a while, doesn't he? He lets them sit in it. He just questions them. Well, what happened? That's what Jesus says to him. What strange things? And he just leads them along, right? This, and they're just, they're processing everything. And do you remember, at the end of the little story, do you remember when their eyes are opened and they, they see him clearly. Do you remember when it takes place? In the breaking of the bread. It's when Jesus blesses the bread. He breaks it and gives to them and they're like, whoa. It's getting clearer now. Now I would just say that it's a paradigm for understanding that your struggle, your wounds, your, your path, of, 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 of not understanding at times until it is actually incorporated and integrated into your journey, you're not fit. It's a part of the process of how you come under his lordship and you understand him. And that is what generates humility in you. And so it's why we're always ready to baptize you when you're ready. It, it, it's your way of saying, I, I, I want to receive what's been done to me and for me in spite of me. And it's why we always do communion, you know, every week. It's because it's this way, it's this ritual that we're given in the scripture. This, this relationship with God has to be about what Jesus has done for us and how he has suffered and how he was humbled. Otherwise, we, we just miss it. We, we, we miss what, what, what this is about. And so I would just say, as you come up this morning, if you're a Christian, to take part in communion, this bread that signals and points to Christ's body broken. He's been totally humbled and humiliated on our behalf. And this cup of wine representing his blood, pointing to the blood that's been shed, you know, for our brokenness and all of this. I would just say this, to take some time to think through your own journey, where you're at. And I would just say this, don't devalue your wounds. Learn from them. Learn from them. What, what about them have made you smaller? That's not a loss in the kingdom of God. Not in the kingdom of God. And I know that that stuff is painful. It might be really painful. But there's, if there's mystery there, if there's confusion there, if there's blindness that you face, offer that to God. It's an opportunity for you to get into the right posture before him. But if Christ was broken and was exalted, then your brokenness isn't a waste. It matters, and it is a part of the process.
If you're a Christian, you're invited to come forward to this station, this station. I think there's a gluten-free uh, option there as well. And take part, taking a piece of the bread, dipping it in the wine or the juice. And if you're not a Christian, I invite you to wrestle with these questions, maybe come under his lordship today or this week or in the coming month, and let us baptize you and begin your process of spiritual fitness. Let us pray. Father, we admit that without your spirit, we won't have eyes to see and we won't have ears to hear. And, and, and so we can only pray and ask that you give them to us and that you, you open us up and that maybe today, even for the first time for some of us, that as we take a piece of the bread, and that we, as we're taking a piece of you and thinking about your body and your blood, that maybe something opens up for us. That your spirit would move in, in, our, in our minds and in our hearts this morning and, and maybe this week and open us up to just a, just a humility that we've never had. Maybe a way of laying things down. Lord, show us the things that maybe need to be surrendered today. Things in our personal lives, our professional lives, wherever it might be but show us some things that maybe we need to lay down and say, I, I, I'm not here to command. I'm here to be commanded. And this is the pathway for my flourishing. So Lord, please help us to see that and guide us in it. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.